I think the biggest thing that I have learned over the years is it's all in your mind, mm-hmm. right? And we are all playing out our beliefs. And our beliefs are something that get put in at childhood um, and we program ourselves along, along the way. Our brain is like a computer and we set in a belief and I had to change my beliefs because I think that I had some beliefs that were actually sabotaging me getting where I needed to be as well. I'm Alison Rice and it is with pleasure that I interrupt the season break to introduce you to a new series called I'm Offline With. These episodes are produced by Studio Offline and in partnership with a founder, leader or entrepreneur that will help us on our way. Between each season, I'll pick the brain of someone who has started a conscious business so we can learn from them. And in return, they get to share their story and what they've created with you. My very first I'm Offline guest is the delightful and determined Josie Bryce-Smith. 20 years ago, she co-founded Australia's first natural hair salon, where harsh chemical formulations were replaced with high-performing colour created in-house. It included natural extracts, minerals and native Australian ingredients. Today, we know it as Original and Mineral, or O&M for short, with brand extensions in colour, styling and education. Here's why O&M is important, both to those of us listening who have ambition to start a conscious business and to the health of anyone who colours their hair. O&M is PETA approved, leads innovation in the natural hair care space globally and it's founded by a generous woman who wants to share her startup story with us so we can learn from it. I've been using O&M for the best part of a decade, so it is truly a thrill to sit down with the brain behind a brand that celebrates hair as a health choice. It's time we all got real about it. We read so many warnings about the dangers of using parabens, sulfates and other harsh chemicals on our skin, but what about our hair and our scalp? In this honest conversation, Josie brings incredible insight into what it means to found and fund a multi-million dollar business, what she had to sacrifice, the times she got it wrong, why she thinks it's riskier to work for someone else, how she uses the emotional freedom technique to reprogram her thought patterns, and so much more. So without further ado, here's Josie and I for I'm Offline With. I hope you adore it and that you learn a lot. I had a cold when we recorded, so my voice happens to match the husky goodness of Josie's. I'm very excited to chat to you. Oh, thank you. I'm very excited to be here. You have the best voice. No, I do not. Do you get that a lot? No. It's like this husky and you kind of come in and out. Oh, Do you right. have, has anyone ever spoken no. to you about your voice? Not at all. No. No way. No. I adore it and your accent. Oh, thank you. That's not the only reason I'm excited <laughs> to talk to you. Though. I'm hanging on to the English accent. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did want to start by thanking you because when we saw each other again recently at a dinner – a dinner that you and yeah, Pip were hosting. Yeah. It was an O&M and PE Nation um, collaboration. 
I have to say you were so kind and so generous with your advice and offering to help me. You offered me business coaching. You offered me financial advice. You were very um, interested in what I was doing. And so I wanted to say thanks because it's not super common. Oh, thank you. Uh, no, I really enjoyed meeting you and I was genuinely very interested in what you're doing and I get to meet quite a lot of talented people who sometimes the commercial side is more difficult and I've been there, mm. you know, and sometimes I've got this ability, particularly after a glass of wine, to see <laughs> what I think needs to happen. Yes. So, yeah, it was my pleasure and I think, you know, I've been listening to some of your podcasts mm. since and... You've done an incredible job. You should be very proud. Thank you so much. Um, and we're going to have an incredible conversation today about your business, but also what it means to be a founder, a businesswoman, a mother, any a multitasker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so offline exists as an exploration of self. And so I want to talk about you amongst all of those labels but I also know you're going to give us some really fucking incredible business advice <laughs> thanks like I'll try yeah so um we actually have quite a long history and perhaps not you and I personally but um me and your brand so I um I started going to Atlantis about 10 years ago I guess longer well when I was I first the receptionist in 2000 yes. So I, th I would have been going there in, I don't know, 2010, maybe 2009. And then, um, so Emily Brown was doing my hair. Oh, we love Emily. Emily's beautiful. Um, and I was with her for like eight years, actually. And then original A, I moved to that salon. And there was another one in between. Um, I was a beauty editor not long after that. And so I remember Surf Bomb launching. Oh my goodness. And I was an enormous advocate for that product because it was one of the first Australian salt sprays on the market. And then original Queenie. So that was the other thing I had in my cabinet I used to tell everyone about Wow. as well. So I actually have a very long history with the brand. And then of course she was using um, O&M colour on my hair. Oh wow, thank you. That's Since so forever. So hear. it's quite full circle for me actually to be sitting here with you talking about your business having been... Yeah, a genuine lover and user of your products for oh, a really long time. Thank you. Yeah, that was where it all started at Atlantis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, uh, and Queenie is actually my nickname from university. Oh. Yeah, so one of the boys that I live with nicknamed me Queenie because when I was 17, my mum said to me, darling, you must learn to touch type. And I said, why? And she said, because all, if all else fails, you can always be a secretary. <laughs> so at 17, I went to typing school and I can still type about 90 to 100 words a minute. So when we were at university and all of my friends were um, working in bars and in cafes, I was touch typing earning about four times as much as them. So it used to be like, is Queenie coming out tonight? Because I was always paying. <laughs> so that's how oh, I got nicknamed Queenie. And then now you get to um, launch products and yes. have them like have beautiful personal names. That's yes, so, so good. incredible. You um, started O&M how many years ago? Because I've got... 
So uh, I started on the salon in the salon in 2000, so 19 years ago. I've got 19 years, and when I read 19, I was like, "Fuck, is that right?" Because it's so long ago. So, I know. I was actually saying to somebody yesterday, um, I was trying to, you know, talk to people about failing and how you learn, and I was like, "Hopefully, you learn faster than me and get there a bit it's quicker than I did." <laughs> But yeah, I mean, the actual product line started 10 years ago, but I had 10 years in the salon where we just made products for our own salon. And then it was 10 years ago that we started to sell it to other salons Mm -hmm. from our garage. But what I wanted to know is what was it like? So, okay, first of all, what what does that mean, ammonia free and why? Why do women need to care about that? And then what was it like talking about a natural product 20 years ago because now it's all we talk about but then I can imagine it wasn't very well received totally so um we you know when we first opened our hair salon um we I'd actually been using ammonia-free hair color in London and that's where I met my partner he was a hairdresser there and when when we came back here, we started to use a low ammonia colour and he had very bad contact dermatitis and his skin completely flared up. So we basically sought out this colour in the UK and brought it over. And honestly, we were like aliens. And I used to ring Caroline Padash, who was the beauty editor of Vogue at the time, every single day and say to her, We've got this ammonia-free hair colour. We've got the first organic salon in Sydney. And there was only one health food store in Sydney that was tiny. It was macro. And I used to say to her, you've got to come to my salon. And she would say, I've got my own hairdresser. Thank you. I've been going to them for a long time. And are you going to ring me every single day? And I said, well, actually, I am. And Mm -hmm. so eventually she came in. And she did this tiny little write-up in Vogue on seaweed lightener, which was this alternative to bleach that we had. Um, but yeah, we were, you know, we were pioneering, and and, mm. and and even when I used to walk into other hair salons and say, "Oh, my hair is an ammonia-free blonde," they would say, "No, it isn't. Can't be done." And so then I would say, "Oh, well, you know better than me. Here it is. You try it, and let me know what you think." But yeah, there was a lot of resistance and, and we didn't even really know that we were pioneers. Mm. We were just doing what we loved and what we thought was the future. Mm. What does ammonia-free mean? Like, what, I don't even know what ammonia is. So ammonia is uh, a very strong smelling chemical that they use in um, hospitals to clean floors. It's disinfectant. It's even used in explosives. Um, and it's just... I mean, scientists can actually make product out of anything right now. It just it just costs a lot of money. So, ammonia was is the thing in hair color that um, opens the cuticle to let the color in, because hair color is a chemical reaction. And I'm not saying that I'm in my garden digging it up and <laughs> using vegetables, and all of a sudden I'm platinum blonde. So, but we. The ammonia is very strong smelling and it almost smells like fish. It's kind of a very Mm. strong smell. So um, 
initially we just took it out because it was just really unpleasant and I thought wow when I was on the reception I thought we're putting this on people's heads and also we're breathing it in yes I thought we don't know the long-term health effects of breathing that in so that's um, uh, ammonia and then as time's gone on it's progressed and and now we leave out other harsh chemicals because there's a lot of research that's come out in the last 20 years to say that there are things that are actually even worse than ammonia. Mm. Um, and most recently, uh, we have left out PPD, um, which we, I probably took 10 years of research to try and wow. take it out. Because this stuff doesn't, product development doesn't happen as fast no. as I think. <laughs> No. We want it to all think it does, yeah. Yeah, so, um, and the only reason that we took PPD out was because um, people were ringing us. So I was, you know, working from the reception, um, selling hair colour, writing the invoices in Word, not taking any payments, not really knowing what <laughs> I was doing. And people were ringing me saying, is your product PPD free? And then when I started to research it, I saw that people actually had a really strong reaction to PPD. And... And people were going into anaphylactic shock there. If you, if you Google it, uh, people's faces swell up. Um, two people died in the UK last year from PPD reactions. Wow. And, but when I went to the chemist and said, oh, I want to have a PPD-free colour, and PPD is in um, hair dyes. It's, it's the dark colour. It's basically brown, which... 80% of hair colour is brown mm -hmm. because grey coverage is the biggest part of it. And chemists said, oh, you can't take that out. So basically I spent probably the best part of five years trying to take it out and failing quite miserably. Right. And nearly sending the company under multiple times. Trying to do Trying it. to take oh it out. Oh my God, we've got so much to talk about. Um, I want to talk about hair colour as a health choice. Um, which is a good segue on from the question I just asked. So, you know, we're on this journey exploring and developing self and so many women are turning to more natural choices, especially when it comes to healing. But I don't think we think about what we put on our heads. Isn't that a funny thing to you that we're all going more natural in every other aspect of our life, what we're eating, we're eating organic, there's so many people turning to veganism, um, using less chemicals on our face and our skin, but when it comes to our hair, I don't think anyone goes to the hairdresser and thinks about that. So I agree with you that they didn't, but I think they now are now. they do now. And, and So um, people are asking. Oh, yeah, and, and to be honest, that's why the O&M business is exploding so rapidly because we always believed that hair colour would become a health choice like food, like makeup, as you say, like skincare. Um, but I think because performance is so critical in hair colour, getting yes. the blonde, getting the grey covered, um, that that was the overriding factor. But now that hair colour does perform at that level without the chemicals, then people are choosing it. I mean, hairdressers well, why are choosing you? it. All, and that was actually the thing. We thought... If you could make colour that performed like conventional colour but had less chemicals, then everyone would choose that. Mm. Um, so, and, and that is why hair colour is now a choice, a health mm. choice. I think we're going to, um, well, I hope, maybe I'm more naive than some, but 
I think we're going to open a few people's eyes to that in this conversation. I think so because it's funny, I've been actually thinking of how we can communicate the message without scaring people as well. This is the thing. Well, I think about like obviously my hair's blonde. Yeah. And while I was using O&M colour for a really long time, I actually didn't think about it when I changed. Yes. And now I'm like, bloody hell. And then like what about women getting their hair colour when they're pregnant and stuff? You know what I mean? Yeah, so that was a call that I used to get every single day was from uh, people with scalp sensitivities or pregnant women. Um, But, you know, it's just, you know, the the skin is the biggest orifice, Mm. right? And so you are ingesting all those chemicals Mm. that you're putting on. So if you can do it in a a much gentler way, then then why wouldn't you? Are you, um, obviously the company and the business is expanding, What's the uptake from hairdressers inside salons? Like, is it hard to get the product in? No, it's really rapid. So, right. but what what I was going to say that what happened um, when I finally got the PPD free color right, which PPD really is the big breakthrough in hair color, uh, removing that, I launched it in October. 2016 and in November 2016 the UK Cancer Council came out and it went all over the media in the UK and they said if you colour your hair with PPD you're 15% more likely to get breast cancer and so then hair colour became a health issue and our business uh, trebled in six months and it's been growing rapidly ever since then and if anything we are not taking on any new countries any new distributors because it's growing so fast so Mm. now we are scaling our production but nobody could have predicted but that's when it became a health choice and then in 2017 there was a study done in california where they cited hairdressers as 50 percent more likely to get bladder cancer and so yeah we're we're, you know, thinking of how to communicate that without scaring people too much. And that's mm. why we decided to say hair colour is a health choice. Yes. And then that would open people's eyes and then hairdressers and consumers can do their own research online. I mean, it's all there. Mm. We're not, you know, this is independent bodies that are saying this. We were just following what we believed. But still, I think it's a positive, right? So so there is a solution. And and actually, a lot of the major companies are following suit. You know, we were that little company that started in Sydney that was pioneering. But the major companies are moving in the same direction. Mm. And so, and there's enough room for everyone. And I'm just I was going to say, is that concerning or not? No, because I think that we're also in a discovery phase where... Um, consumers and you know people in generally are general are wanting to connect with the brands and understand their philosophy and and I think that um, social media has changed a lot of that so uh, smaller companies are, are always I think more passionate and more nimble I mean we we're already working on our next generation mm. you know so we're going to keep going and and it's it's in the core of the brand. So, and I, I believe there's enough room for everyone anyway. It's kind of amazing if I think about maybe perspective for um, women who maybe have launched their own business or they're thinking about it, that your 
business tripled 20 years in. It's a long time to wait because there's so, you know, I even have it myself, there's those early days. I mean, I'm only 10 months in and you worry and it's like, oh, my God. Oh, you'll do it much faster than I do. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, is that with um, with Owen and with the type of business that I'm in, I'm in inventory. So I've got three warehouses full of products. So a lot of the time our money is all in those warehouses and it's all about cash flow. Mm. So it depends on the business. And, and if you look at most fashion brands or even most brands that are holding inventory, they're getting investment at the beginning. And knowing then what I know now, I probably would have got investment earlier. I mean, I still don't have investment. The business is completely self-funded. Um, but the world's a different place again and there's so many different ways to get investment now. There's crowdfunding now, mm. which is really exciting and I've explored that and it's, you know, it's mums and dads and people at home that want to be part of something. They want to own part of the coffee shop that they buy their coffee from or, you know, particularly in the UK, crowdfunding is absolutely huge and the minimum investment is like seven pounds. Wow. Yeah, so it's and incredible. The, and the best thing about crowdfunding is that you get all of the foot traffic you get the ambassadors so you get the the people saying at a dinner party oh i own part of this coffee brand or this hair care brand or whatever it is so, so they kind of become like mini advertising yeah it's all the advocates yes. yeah so there's just so many different ways to look at it but it does take a long time and and it does take um a lot of will and um, you've got to back yourself blindly and, mm. and and there's you know there's lots of learnings to come from failings and and you know you've you've got to scrape yourself off the floor yes well these are the stories <laughs> I want to talk to you about <laughs> just on that um, concept of crowdfunding so it's about half of offline's production costs are covered by the community yeah I saw that it's so incredible and I have to tell you I felt so sick when I was launching that um, a donation drive, you know, to say, uh, and this is again very full circle for me as I sat out of traditional ads for the first two seasons because I wasn't interested in reading scripts because I just don't think that women receive advertising the way that perhaps sometimes clients think that we will and and then also what the clients wanted um, didn't align with the podcast's narrative or reason to exist and so I thought to myself is there another way you know and if people love this podcast as much as they tell me they do and oh my god thank you so much will they help me pay for it you know I'm not expecting to earn any money um, but will they help me and they did so it's kind of incredible it's very empowering when you realize that actually it's in our control yes yeah, so I think as well people obviously relate to you and also we're in an age where everyone would love to be an entrepreneur and have a go yes. <clears throat> and you are not only backing yourself doing your own thing left a corporate job to do that which would resonate with so many people but you're also interviewing people that have done it as well mm -hmm. so I can completely understand why they would do that and more, that's more, more, more. Im incredible that 50% of your costs are you know covered by that and mm -hmm. I think I listen to a lot of podcasts as well and you know so sometimes I do find the beginning the the, the narrative of the ads really frustrating mm -hmm. and and 
you know, sometimes I do turn it off or I try and Me forward too. it or, you know, so I, I and I believe there's always another way mm. and actually breaking the mould is the most interesting part of starting your own business. It's so very I think exciting. you're on the right track. We're both very pioneering. <laughs> well, can we talk about ideas yes. and having the idea? So you were sitting behind the reception desk thinking this could be something. Yes. How do we know when the idea is good enough to invest in like we all have incredible ideas but what is it that makes you step from idea to actually executing or even putting your own money into it um so i was i've been thinking about this a lot actually because there's a sort of i think a common misconception that entrepreneurs take a massive amount of risk whereas i actually think most entrepreneurs start what i call a side hustle Mm. So I was still working on the reception. I had an income from, you know, working that job. And and we actually got the business to $25,000 a month in sales before we put a more significant amount of money in. And the amount of money that we put in, uh, there were three of us, we put $40,000 in each. And so that amount of money we could also afford to lose. Mm. So it wasn't actually really high risk. And I think that firstly, if you've got an idea, you've got to love it and really believe it. Otherwise, it's not the right idea. But there's lots of ways to test it even before you leave the corporate world if that's what you want to do. Mm. Um, and purely because of the way that we can work now and because of technology, there's just so much opportunity for doing that side job. So I was actually, when we we created the hair care line, which is the good-looking front end for the colour, which is in the back room, I was... Um, pregnant with jasmine my first child and i was looking for packaging and i was literally lying on the couch um watching a reality tv show uh called blowout which was one of the first reality tv shows in america and i he, remember that he was a hairdresser called jonathan um anyway that's another story that i'm digressing but i also flew to Cosmoprof, which is a packaging show in Hong Kong, at seven and a half months pregnant looking for packaging. Wow. Um, so, you know, I just... And, and I just worked through the night and, and, yeah, I just worked two jobs. So I don't think there's actually ever a moment where you go okay, this is it, but it just felt right. We proved it enough at $25,000 a month that maybe it had legs mm -hmm. and we decided to go to the next step. That's incredible advice. So it's like there is some safety net in staying employed while you test your idea. I definitely didn't do that. <laughs> I was thinking that. I definitely was like, bye. And then, but I always say this, like I thought I would do eight episodes People who loved me would listen and be like, oh, that's cute. She's doing a podcast. And then I'd have to go and get another job. I just knew I couldn't stay in the job I had anymore. So maybe mine's a bit different versus, yeah. So mine felt like a bridge. Mine was like, I can only leave that job if mentally I have this thing that I'm working on because leaving to nothing felt actually more of a risk and scarier to me than anything else. Yeah, that's right. Mm. I mean, and you know, you've obviously got a supportive partner who supported yes. you in doing that, which is mm. really important. Um, I actually think in some ways it's more high risk 
working for somebody else because you're actually putting your destiny somewhat in their hands. Mm. Although you'll always be known for your work and you can always ask for a pay rise or a different direction if that's what you want, you are essentially putting your destiny in somebody else's hands and a lot of people are happy with that and and, and that's fine that's fine yeah. and that's great and and I need those people who are working with me you know uh but for me I yeah I just wanted to control my own, own destiny one of the reasons I wanted to have an honest conversation with Josie is because she's a survivor O&M might be successful today but for many, many years, it wasn't. When others would have walked away, Josie chose to stick with a business that wasn't making money. Not only that, but she had a mortgage and her children's school fees to pay. So she did what we women do best. She looked at what was in her control, and then she got strategic. Yes, so um, uh, five years, uh, maybe slightly more now ago, I got divorced and I've got two gorgeous children and one was two and, and my daughter was five. Too little. Yeah, they were little. And um, I'm from England, so my family are all over there. And uh, my daughter was in a very expensive private school and my son was in daycare, which may as well be the same amount as a private school. <laughs> um, and so anyway... Um, I decided that I wanted to keep O&M and at the time it was losing money and my divorce lawyer said to me, okay, you've picked the, th- the only thing that's losing money because we had two other hair salons. And I said to her, I know, but I want that. And she said, okay. So anyway, um, I ended up getting it in the divorce settlement. So was um, he just like, no worries? Well, <laughs> yeah, he was. He did... He, you know, he can do hair as well, so it made more sense that he kept, kept the hair salons. Um, I think he didn't feel that the product company was going to turn into something, but at the time it wasn't, so he was like, yep, yeah, okay. And then, um, anyway, um, I also ended up deciding to buy him out of our house. And so once everything was signed, I was like, oh, God. So I've got a business that's losing money and a house with a big mortgage and a child, two children, in private school. So I thought, okay, so my first reaction was, I have loads of designer clothes. So I opened an eBay store and I got myself a mannequin and I loaded up all my clothes, pretty much, maybe 90% of them onto eBay. And I made about $50,000 in oh the first four Oh my God, months. what clothes did you have? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think some people... When they get depressed, eat or smoke or drink. You shop. I online shop. <laughs> I don't anymore. But at the time, I did. Well, isn't it interesting because you could now? I could now, but, but now you don't. because I've been to that. So I went from having quite a comfortable life to getting divorced and, and being in a very uncomfortable situation. And um, so anyway, so first I sold the clothes. And then I realized that I had a lovely house in Bondi and my children were going 50% of the time to their fathers and so when they did I put it on Airbnb and I started to get quite a significant amount of money from Airbnb and that was how I kept my daughter in school, kept my son 
and I paid myself whilst the business was losing money. And then I actually went one stage further and I remortgaged the house to do the colour that I was telling you I launched in 2016. I don't know why, I just, for my children, for myself, maybe my self-worth was totally wrapped up in the whole thing, but I kept going and I was the majority shareholder, so I just went ahead with the colour. Wow. Yeah, and um, I ended up buying the mount as well. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's just... Yeah, I, there's always a way, right? And and I definitely think technology has changed everything. So if it wasn't for technology, I wouldn't have had eBay and I wouldn't have had Airbnb. Mm. But you can see things in such a different way. Now. When you have to as well. When you have to. When yeah. you're really like yeah, faced with helping it. You. Yeah. Yes. How did you – where does that re- resilience come from? Like is that an upbringing thing? Have you always been quite – a fighter. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely a survivor. And I think that that's partly because uh, my dad died of cancer when I was 17. Oh. And so I, he lived for a long time with cancer and was a massive survivor. And he never complained and he worked up until 12 months before he died. And he actually said to me, um, and I, you know, I was had no idea really then but he said to me you be good in your own business and I thought wow how how would he know that I don't know that and then he also said to me life is a gift don't waste it and so I think ever since he died I lived pretty much every day like it was my last Mm. and um, I just felt that I owed it to him to make the most of it and not to give up Mm. Uh, and so giving up was never an option I was going to say, so there was never a day where you were like, you know what? No. I mean, there were times where I was like, wow, am, am I ever going to get this right? Because I I am, you know, I, I probably could get a job that paid quite a lot of money. Mm. You know, I was very good in sales. I started my career in sales in media and I was very good at it. Um, so I felt confident that... If all else failed, I could get another job. Mm. Um, But no, I never thought about giving up. I always thought about ways of getting around it. Mm. It's such good business advice. It should give me a little bit to think about. I'm not going to sell my clothes yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wanted to ask what the lesson was in that for you. If you really think about that time, if you reflect on that now as a woman who is perhaps sitting in her success, if you think about, was there a lesson or lessons that came through that that you perhaps wouldn't have expected? Um, oh, yeah, there have been so many lessons. Um, I think the biggest thing that I have learned over the years is it's all in your mind, mm-hmm. right? And we are all playing out our beliefs. And... Our beliefs are something that get put in at childhood um, and we program ourselves along along the way. Our brain is like a computer and we set in a belief and I had to change my beliefs mm-hmm. because I think that I had some beliefs that were actually sabotaging me getting where I needed to be as well. What were they? Um, 
I think I, I believed that I didn't deserve to have a lot of money. This is me. Okay. <laughs> and I also thought I had to struggle for money. Yeah. And I also believed, I think, from what my dad went through, that life is hard and that nothing comes easy. And I'm not saying that everything is easy now, but I've definitely changed my belief. So I've, I actually believe that now what I've learned is that we're all on a journey to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. And mm. that's all we can really ask. And that when the challenges happen, the universe is sending you a message to re-strategize. So you don't need to see it as a negative. You just need to go, oh, this is getting uncomfortable. So I'm being sent a message to re-strategize. And that actually a lot of the journey is realizing that we are enough. Mm. We're okay. So one of the big things that I learned was to, to pat myself on the back every day and go, well done, Josie. Well done, Josie, even when things were bad. I definitely don't do that. Yeah, so and, mm. and to focus that you are what you focus on. And if you focus on the negative, mm. then you're going to get more of that. Where you put your energy. The universe you is going to keep sending you evidence. If you think life is hard, the universe is going to keep sending you evidence of that. Mm. Or if you think your business isn't going to work. Yeah. It's probably not going to work. Yeah, it's probably not going to work. Yeah. But definitely the, the well done's, if you did that every morning, well done, mm. well done. And I try and teach my children that. Yeah, it, it reprograms you. Can we talk about your morning routine? Because I think it's quite interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's interesting because you move through a sequence of things that set you up for success for success and for a successful day. Um, a lot of us don't do that. And I think it would be interesting for you to share that sequence yeah. because it seems that it's quite a regime as well. Like, are you saying you don't ever not do this? No, no. yeah, this is my regime. And I, I believe in surrounding people, yourself with people who are better than you. And I mm. learned this from somebody who, who taught me it, um, and I think I function with quite high anxiety and anxiety is just fear of the future. Um, and so a lot of what I do is about trying to stay present, trying to be here now. So the first thing that I do is, I mean, I wake up very early, normally about 4.45. Oh, my God. <laughs> Why? But not everyone needs to do that. Like I mainly do that on the week I have my children because I like to exercise before I take them to school. But my morning routine is I wake up and I do tapping, which is EFT, which is emotional freedom technique, yes. which you can actually uh, look at it on YouTube and there are people that you can follow that do it. But it basically you, you tap in several different points. It's kind of like acupuncture. And you tap these points and you can actually say things with it as well, mm. um, depending on what you're focusing on. And, you know, this morning I was um, focusing on self-worth and self-love and completely loving, loving and accepting yourself. So it's like, even though I might not be perfect, I completely love and accept myself. Mm. While you, you're tapping. Whilst you're tapping, it's very grounding. And then there's a, a breathing technique that I learned, which is basically you breathe in for six through your nose, then you 
hold it for 10 and then you breathe out through your teeth as slowly as you can and if you can get to 20 or 30 and what it does is it slows your heart rate down and actually letting go is all through the out breath Mm. and the biggest key to happiness is letting go yes it's all about letting go and so I do those um, every morning and then I exercise. So exercise is really important and um, I have a lot of cortisol through the stress Yes, and exercising actually, actually lets go of the cortisol and I find some of my best uh, ideas also come when they're exercising and my best thoughts. Um, so Exercise is really important. And then meditating for at least 10 minutes twice a day. Yes, I do this. Um, So, yeah, meditating. And you can do it lots of different ways with a mantra. I've done several courses. um, And I just find for me, um, I just... I'm in a quiet room. Sometimes I have soft music. And when the thoughts come in, I just gently push them away. Mm. And I can now get that tingly feeling which it's is the so best. lovely. Yeah, that's yes. the best. And it sounds like that's a lot, but actually it, it doesn't. Yeah, how long does that take Apart you? from the exercising, it's like 20 minutes. Mm. and It's the commitment to it. That's the thing. Yeah, and the other thing is that you really need to do something every day that's for yourself. So whether it's have a bath, I like a bath with Epsom salts, mm. or I like going to um, infrared saunas, but you've got to do something for yourself. Mm. There's a lot of self-love and self-worth in just doing something small for yourself. Do you tie these? Um, do you tie these things with your success? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 like one can't exist without that. Yeah. yeah. People, you you can't. It's it's all about um, success because you have to work so hard and and because you've been so many through so many things it's about grounding yourself and being present um and being able to organize your mind yeah i definitely my rate of success and ability to manage people and ability to multitask is completely um controlled by how I feel on that day my mind and Mm. and a lot of that is to do with the pegs the pillars the things that are grounding you which is Mm. those techniques that I use it's just one of those things where we we sleep in or we say we don't have time for that stuff like before I started meditating there's actually an episode where I was like oh yeah that meditation thing like too busy you know too I guess self-important like just thought it wasn't for me and I never understood it. But then I realized, like, why would I know how to do it if no one's ever taught me? Like, if, if you haven't been taught to meditate, you can't just close your eyes and expect to transcend or to have this experience. It's like we have to learn from people who, like anything in life, know what they're doing. And then once you have those tools, like, I'm trying not to be too much of a poster girl for meditation, especially on the podcast. But it's been life-changing and mind-changing and what you were saying about controlling your mind, that's the big thing. It's when you realise that you're not your thoughts. Yeah, so that's, you, so that's huge because most people, me included, uh, are living in their head. Mm. And what I've learned... Identified with mind-body. Yeah, you've, yeah. Got to live, you've, got to, you've got to move into your body. So mm. my shrink says, okay, stop, stop. You've got to let that land... 
And I kind of look <laughs> at her like, oh, it's so easy for you over there with all those textbooks. Um, but you've got to let it land in your body and you've got to let it digest. Mm. And I think that meditating is part of that digesting. It's letting stuff land and how do you actually feel about it? Mm. So rather than shooting from the head... Um, and there's actually a thing, you know, with your prefrontal cortex, which is the frontal part of your brain, when something happens that sends you into distress or, you know, problem solving, it flips open and it sends you into fight, fight or flight mode. So the breathing technique that I talked about, the 6-6 six, six, and then the breathing out slowly, closes that. Ah. And so when you feel yourself freaking out, if you do that, it will actually bring yourself back into your body or close that front mm. part of your brain. Um, what, were yeah. you, what did you say about anxiety is... It's fear of the future. Yeah. Yeah, so what it's doing is anxiety is stopping you being in the present. And most entrepreneurs are in the future anyway because they're feeling what's going to happen. But actually all we have is now. Mm. We don't have anything else. No, and, and we can't control the future. I'm learning no. that. I'm like, stop trying to control people and things. Yeah. Because it's going to play out as it's going to play out. And yeah. why not just, to your point, be in the now and enjoy it? Yeah. Or try and enjoy it? Try and enjoy it. And, and I think one of the biggest things that I've learned is that um, you can't control what other people think about you. Mm. And you can only control what you think about yourself and that the, the most important relationship that you have is with yourself and that you have to be your own best friend mm -hmm. and that's why with all the noise of the divorce and the business partners and everything that went on I would go well done Josie well done Josie <laughs> and be my own best friend mm. um and it took me, I mean, I'm 44, it took me 40 years to work that out. It took me getting divorced. It took me a lot of therapy and kinesiology to work out. Mm. The only thing that we know is really we come in alone and we're going to leave alone. Mm -hmm. So if we can't be our own best friends along the way, we're pretty screwed. Mm -hmm. And so many people are so down on themselves and me included. Yeah. And I used to feel like saying to my business partners, you don't need to tell me how rubbish I am. I'm already whipping myself on a daily basis. Yeah. I know that the product is not where it needs to be. I know we're practically trading in solvent. You don't need to take me into a room and tell <laughs> yeah. me. You know, so, um, but, but. Why do you think we're so unkind to ourselves? Well, I think that um, there's a lot of perfectionism in all of us. And actually, um, I Listen to a, I listen to a lot of books and um, Brene Brown, who oh, she's yeah. the best. She's got the best podcast. I mean, the, the TED Talk, The Power yes. of Vulnerability. Yeah. And she actually re released a book this year, which I listened to, which is called Daring Greatly. Oh, yes. Well, no, this year was Dare to Lead or oh, something. Dare, dare, oh, yeah. Something like that. But the the First one was Daring Greatly. Okay. I read that too. Which is all about so shame. Yeah, and it's all about shame resilience. And actually perfectionism is part of shame. So we, we're perfectionists because we're afraid of being seen, right? And that's, that's why people are so hard on themselves because they don't want to be seen. Mm -hmm. 
and for who they truly are yeah or or for the shame that they've got so they might have shame so I could have shame about how much I failed before I got to where I got now and some of the things that I went to I mean I don't think I've really told anyone about me selling the clothes on eBay let Mm. alone in the media I know you know so thank you for sharing it yeah and I it, it really struck a chord with me when you said it because the conversation we were having was me saying, I left this big job. I had all this money. I, I don't know if I was even paid that well, to be honest, but I had money coming in every month. And, and for you to kind of ground me in the fact that like all that stuff you've acquired, you can sell if you need to, you know. Yeah. I really valued the honesty in the moment because it's like what we see from the outset. Like when I look at you, I see success I see beauty I see the clothes I see all the stuff but then you've got that story behind you that's like but for a while there I didn't I was keen to learn about Josie's failures we've been programmed to publicly celebrate the wins the growth securing investment hiring the big team and getting the shiny office but they aren't the times we learn we learn when we make mistakes Josie generously shares a time she got it wrong, so hopefully we can get it right. Grab your notebook and write down the drag and tag clause, and also the questions to ask potential investors. Um, I have done, had lots of failures, um, and I'm happy to tell you one of them, I or as many as you like, but I think they've also been my greatest lessons and learnings, and... Um, so there's always an upside. I always look for the upside. I think um, I've had a lot of product-related issues that I've definitely learned from, but actually my biggest failing I did right at the beginning because I didn't, when I first um, set up the business and I had these minority shareholders, when we did the shareholders agreement, I didn't really think about it enough, what it would mean when the business got bigger, what it would mean when we needed to put money in, or we wanted to employ people, um, when we needed to sign a lease, when we wanted bank funding, when we needed to give personal guarantees. And what ended up happening was for 10 years, I ended up signing all the leases on my own, signing all the personal guarantees, putting the majority of the money in. But I got whipped from the sidelines when I did something wrong. So I was at the very uh, high-risk end of the business because I was trying to get the product out there. I was trying to do the formulations. There were lots of things. So I think that was probably my biggest mistake was that you know, and if I had wanted to get an investor, it had to be a unanimous decision. And getting a whole group of people to unanimously decide on anything mm-hmm. is very difficult. Yes. So my biggest lesson that if I could share to, with somebody else is, you know, your my business was turning over $25,000 a month when we started. But I should have thought like a big business. Mm. I should have thought what would happen when it was bigger and what would happen when the risks became larger and what would happen when things went wrong. What was the mechanism for that? And so I spent the best part of 10 years either trying to get around it or trying to bring people on board and then eventually unwound it. Mm. So, but, you and know, you just bought them out. Yeah, bought them out. <laughs> having, yeah. Um, 
And so how would that how would that shareholder agreement look different today, I wonder? Well, I think the biggest thing was I didn't have a dragon tag clause. What's that? Yes, I know. <laughs> how would we ever know what that was? But um, it basically means that the, the majority shareholder can drag the minorities along. So in the event of a sale or wanting to take an investor, I could have dragged them along. Cause, but because right, it versus was a, them needing to agree. Yeah, but because we all had to agree, I couldn't drag them along. So I probably, I would have got investment maybe rather than remortgaging my house. Um, but I couldn't drag them along. And they thought that I didn't know what I was doing, to be quite honest. Mm. And that's okay. They're allowed their opinion. Um, so that would be the biggest thing. I would have, I would have spent more money on the legal agreement and I would have thought about what it would look like. And you've got to think about the exit as well. Somebody mm. wants to exit or you all want to exit. Yes, yeah, so because it's all going well in the beginning when we're yeah. all excited and we're all working for nothing and everyone's happy to work for nothing. But then when people have enough of working for nothing and then mm. things go wrong and, and people's lives change, you know, there's lots of factors. So, yeah, that's what I would have done differently. That is <clears throat> such incredible advice. It seems like common sense. Yeah. <laughs> But to your point, we don't know, like, even as I go to set up my business, I'm like, does anyone know a lawyer? Or like, do I need an accountant? Do I go from an ABN to an ACN? Now, there's all these things that, you know, I'm talented in many areas, but we don't know what we don't know. So I think it's really incredible that you've given us that one. But you know nugget. a lot of this stuff as well. You could spend tens of thousands of dollars with lawyers. But you could find these agreements online as well. Really? Yeah, and all those things that you just said about the ABN, ACN, there are people on YouTube sharing this information and doing videos. When I got divorced and had the house on the Airbnb, I had to patch walls, mend hinges. There are so many useful little <laughs> men. I've got, you know, I had no idea, and I did all this DIY. And I'm not a DIY sort of Look person. Look at this wall, me. Did you build that? I painted it <laughs> and stuck my decal on. I was going to call an air tasker. I was like, no, Alison. No. I went home to Tony and like I said, I can do anything I put my mind to. Yes. I believe that you can train the brain to do anything. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so, so I definitely recommend setting yourself up, but I think you can do a lot of the legwork online and then get a lawyer to check it at the end. Good idea yes. instead of them charging 500 fucking dollars an hour. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, what advice do you have for women who want to pitch their ideas to investors? Um, I'm, I have actually been asked to go on Shark Tank and all sorts of things have over you? the years. Yeah, I've been approached a few times and there's, there's a couple of companies in Sydney that do that where you can do that. I think it's great to do. It's great practice because you will get feedback um, and you're obviously, if they are investors, then they're experienced and there's a lot to learn from there. I personally believe that it's worth um, investing some of your own money, even if it's just a small amount to prove your product works or your idea. Um, and I would pitch it to investors once you'd proved it. Uh, uh, even so if prove it's small, revenue. Yeah, I would prove it even if it's only a small amount. 
Mm. Um, but definitely, I mean, I have pitched to so many funds and investors. Have there, you? There are so many people who, who probably think, oh, gosh, she can't make her mind up or, you know. But I just learnt so much from it. Mm. Um, What's it like in the room? Um, to be honest, I, you're just telling your story and talking from your heart. Um, and actually, most investors are investing in the entrepreneur. They might like the product, but they're investing in you because they know that somebody has got to be the heartbeat of the brand. Somebody's got to be in love with it. And actually, I met with a fund very recently. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, well, I'm not specifically looking for an investor, but if the right person and the right situation came along, then I would potentially look at it because I've got the opportunity to scale the business much faster if I want to um but um and the one thing that they said to me was um we would only invest if you stayed as the CEO because we are investing in you essentially although we love the brand and it's proven in lots of markets and it's scalable we're investing in you if you were to exit the business we wouldn't be interested Interesting. Yeah. Now I wouldn't exit the business to because, to be honest, I don't even know who I am. Without <laughs> <it>. <laughs> do you, um, on the investment side, do you have, do you, what questions should women be asking? And I'm talking women, not anyone. What should we be asking the investors? Because so much of it, from what I can see, it feels like you're being kind of interviewed and interrogated. But what do we need to know to ask them? Because I'm learning so much even about like, is this business right for you in that? Like if you're looking to double your money in two years, then it might not be the right business for you. Or if you're going to be in this for 10 years and help me grow organically, then that makes sense but like what questions would you ask yeah so I've learned that I definitely ask a lot of questions so the first thing is is that getting money is actually quite easy there's a lot of lazy money around needing Mm -hmm. a home bank interest is very low and there is a lot of lazy money so I and and the hard bit is actually doing the work are you saying people wanting to put their money somewhere yes lots of it And so I always say, so what are you going to do? Yeah. So I want to know because, you know, most funds or high net worth families are going to be well connected. So what contacts have they got that they can bring, whether it's in distribution or key people or what business experience do they have? Do they have a finance background? Like what help could they offer? Would they be on an advisory board? And if they were... What would that like? What role would they have? Um, are there other people that they could bring? Um, so I think definitely what would they do? But So you're asking what are you going to give me? Yeah, what are you going to give I'm gonna me? I'm going to take your money but also what are you going to give yeah. me? Yeah, and then also what reporting do they want? How much involvement do they want? Because some people might somebody, want somebody who just gives them the money and then pretty much leaves them to it. Other people might, might feel they need more help. Um, so, um, you know, what do they expect? And then as you say, very good question, when do they expect to exit? How long is their, their typical investment? Um, and then also what other types of companies do they invest in? And then 
I would get two or three references. So I have had some very interesting conversations with some very successful entrepreneurs who have had investment from different funds who have given me some very valuable information. Mm. So, yeah, I would definitely ask for references. It's kind of like any normal job interview in a way, isn't it? Like you wouldn't hire someone without checking their references. Yeah, totally. Realistically, what is it like being a woman in business? Because I don't think we talk enough about this either. I think it's an incredible time to be a woman. And, you know, you were telling me actually that women are launching businesses 1.5 times faster than men. So there's a lot of female founder businesses coming that already exist. What are the realities of being a woman who runs her own business but being in business as well? Like what's it like to be in boardrooms perhaps? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I can't tell you the amount of times, particularly when I was in America, where I would go into a distributor that was had multiple hair care brands and they would say to me, Josie, we love your product. We think you're a bit of ahead of your time. Who owns the company? And it's just, you'd want to believe that it doesn't happen, but it happens all the time. It's actually statistically proven that it's harder as a woman to get bank funding. Um, there are less, obviously much less women on boards than there are men. Um, it's still... It still is, there is a lot of male, it's it's male dominated, particularly at the CEO level, like Mm. women are the absolute minority. Having said that, I think, you know, we've got a lot that men don't have. First of all, we've got makeup and hair and clothes (laughs) and we can use it at any time and we can tell a story with that. Um, But, you know, yeah. I've actually been documenting the journey for 10 years in a diary. And originally it was called Diary of a Lunatic. Um, (laughs) And then about two years ago, I renamed it because I started to include a fictional character in my stories called Dick. (laughs) And so it became called All I Needed Was Dick. And I would be in a meeting and I would document it afterwards and I would say, Dick, where were you? I just really needed you in this meeting. Mm. And two years ago... As in you needed a man in the room in order to get your point across. And so, but what I believe is there's no point in... I, I mean, I love men, I love women. There's no point in being upset about it. You just need to be smart about it. So I have a business mentor now, Andrew, who's a really good friend of mine. And when we met, he said to me, what do you need from me? I said, could you come to a meeting with me? And he said, what do do you want me to do? And I said, could you just say something about the finances of the company and how it's structured and funded? I'm about to sign a contract for $2 million. And he said, okay. And so he came and he did that. He wasn't a shareholder. He's still not a shareholder. And he said to me afterwards, wow, that is so unfair. He said, just because I was sitting there, I said, doesn't matter. We signed the contract. Could you do it again next week? I need yeah. you to come again. So it's like no point in No, no, just just get just, on with it. Just get on with it and just mm. you know It's just a shame though. It is a shame, but the world is changing. It mm. is and and funds are actually approaching me, these venture capital funds saying we've invested in six women in the last twelve months. You know, they're seeking it because mm. they And you're know. like, Do you want a fucking medal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
But they know, they know, and they know that mm. the, the world well, is interested. Point, like, we have um, makeup clothes, shoes, but we also have empathy and compassion yes. and resilience and yes. the ability to multitask like it's no one's fucking business. Yes. So we have all of these things that, you know, we make better CEOs. <laughs> we do. You know? And empathy is huge, you're right. Mm. I mean, it's huge in managing people, it's huge in sales, it's huge mm. in everything. And, um, yeah, we've got the ability to juggle. Mm. We do. What have you learned about leadership? Um, Apart from that, it's fucking hard. <laughs> it is hard. It is really hard. I think I I have um, I, I've been incredibly lucky that I've had people that have worked with me for a long time that believe what I believe. I think leadership is really about you've got a group of people who believe what you believe. You've got to have, and that's actually Simon Sinek talks about a lot about that. Like. Great companies have a very core understanding of why they're doing what they do, what they what their beliefs are, and and I think that if you have a clear understanding of why, that people who have the same why will follow you, mm-hmm. and and that's what happens. And um, I I have this thing that I say at our company conferences where I say. If, if you get up for work two, more than two days a week and you look in the mirror and you don't want to come to work, if you don't understand why we're here, if you don't believe what we're doing, if I can't inspire you, if you're not happy, then you need to come to me and tell me because I know so many people and I will help you find another job where you're going to be happier. Yes. Yeah, because... Give them per- permission to resign. Yeah, I do that all the time. Yeah, it's like... You don't want to keep people who... And and also you don't want the bad energy and you can feel it Mm. when they're not happy. And you can actually help people to find something that they're happier with. And so I think that that really helps in terms of leadership because it is hard. It's lonely. It's lonely. A lot of the time I found it very lonely. But then on the other side I'm kind of lonely because I'm not doing it. (laughs) So I don't know. But um, I think until you've led big teams, really any size team, you don't know. And this is any time I'm in a coaching session and it might be a woman I'm coaching who's struggling with her manager, the first thing I say is just think about being her. Think about waking up every day and being your manager. Would you see things differently? Yeah, that's yeah, a great you would. way to say. Yeah. yeah. Because if we put ourselves in someone else's shoes, we automatically have empathy. Yeah, that's right. You know, so we come at things from a different way. Whereas when we see them as the enemy, well, yeah. you told me to do this and you didn't do this right. And, and then a lot of the time, many leaders and managers don't know how to lead and manage because no one taught them and they don't have the role model. They weren't given the tools or the education to be able to lead you know, gracefully. Um, and so I always say that too, like maybe she just doesn't know what she's doing and maybe what she's projecting on you is just fear that you'll find out. Again, whole new way of looking at it. Oh, yeah, so she's afraid of being seen. It's that whole shame. Yes, perfectionist is all part of shame. Yeah, we don't want to be seen. And that's mm. the vulnerability. We don't want to be seen as vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I tell you one thing I am, I do do with leadership is I'm very good at apologising or admitting when I've been wrong. Yeah. And I'm. I will say, I, 
I'm so sorry. I was really high anxiety. I'd had a really bad morning. It's not you. It's not. It's me. So I think that you've got to be able to That's do that. That's very admirable. Not, uh, not many leaders I know do that. <laughs> or that I've had in yeah. my life, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I just think it's all about the culture that you want to create and you mm. don't want... You want people to be happy. I mean, mm. I want to be happy too. Yes. I want to come to work and like the people I work with also. Yeah. 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 Um, I've got two more questions for you. Okay. Um, the first one is what's next? Because we didn't really talk much about core colour, um, but yeah. I will put some detail about it in the show notes because it is one of your newer yeah, products. Well. But I'd love to know what's next. So what's next is um, currently I'm working on my next generation of hair colour that will come out in 2021. Takes a long time. Yeah, (laughs) so we're keeping moving. Uh, We're always looking for ways to reduce harsh chemicals in hair colour. We are bringing out new products all the time. I think we, you know, our plan for this year is really launching more countries Mm-hmm. Uh, we launched into Sephora in the US. Oh, congratulations. Yay. So that was really exciting. And um, so we'll be expanding that network. Um, yeah, and just we built our uh, Sydney headquarters. So we've got a salon, showroom, office. No, I had a beautiful blow dry there this morning. <laughs> so good. So, you know, we've got our salon, showroom in New York as well. And we're going to be expanding that. So. There's lots going on, but I think the core is always the core is that we want to be the leading natural luxury hair care brand. And so we're spending a lot of our time and money in research and development. I want to continue pioneering hair colour as a health choice. Mm -hmm. I want it to be as high performing as it possibly can be. And actually when we did all the testing for core colour, I said to Paul, who has a little salon in Darlinghurst and he did the testing, I said, I don't care about any of the other ammonia-free colours. Don't test against them. Test only against ammonia and only against the five major companies. And so we are absolutely focused on that natural and low chemical products can perform exactly the same as high chemical Mm. and that it will become mainstream. Mm. That's our mission. Well, I guess on behalf of women everywhere, thank you for making it your life's mission to give us products that aren't going to kill us. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and that's the reality. Um, And because I know how much time and money and stress and anxiety goes into what is actually a value-based product. Like it's something where you're trying to make a difference. A difference. And I was going to say the world a better place, but like, yeah, and that as well. And, and to make sure that we're educated. Like I've learned a lot. Um, there's a bit of shame um, for me around what I use on my hair that I wouldn't put on my face. You know, I haven't really... You put just those didn't two things really together. Connect, you know, which a lot of yeah. people, or you didn't realize it was possible because you needed your blonde and mm-hmm. you've got a good blonde. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, as you say, you kind of fell into it. Yes. Um, so I ask each of my guests a final question. Offline exists as an exploration of self, and who are we without the labels? So for you, founder, entrepreneur, mother, business owner. Um. And I'm sure many other things, but if you take all of those away and you do so much incredible self-work every morning, when you're sitting in this concept of true self, so without the 
the social media, without the brand, without all of it, who are you and how do you identify with that? Wow, that's a big question. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I may have needed a glass of wine. I know. I was just thinking we probably should have had wine. I'd <laughs> love to have a wine with you. Um, I think I've got a massive heart and um, I really love everyone. My shrink says to me, you love everyone, you love the whole planet. <laughs> and um, I just think that I was born wanting to do good and I cared a lot about people and I'm just really trying to be the best version of myself. Um, I'm not, I, I realise that it's all just stuff, you know, and that's part of the renting the house out on Airbnb. It's all, it's all just stuff. If I can die and feel that I made a difference, then I will feel that it's worthwhile. My dad actually died and they found £500,000 in a bank account and they built a wing of a hospital and named it after him. Wow. Yeah, and I think my life and who I am is about making him proud and living the life that he didn't get to live because he died when he was 45. I got goosebumps. Oh, that is so beautiful. So, and to be honest, I had shame because I never visited the hospital. It got opened by Princess Alexandra. And so... Last year I went back with my mum and it's still named after him and there were people that have been working there for 30 years that knew him. And um, How incredible is that? Yeah, so... Your dad. Yeah, I just think I'd like to be a, a good person if you took it all away. I would like people to say she's a, a good person. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. That is such an epic answer to that question. <laughs> And you didn't tell me that one. I didn't. I tried not to. People who listen a lot know it, but then sometimes they forget. And I'm like, here's the hard question. We all don't know how to answer. I have to thank you for being my very first I'm Offline with guest. It's a true honour and a thrill for me, especially because I have such a relationship with your brand and your cause as well. So thank you for supporting me and supporting my podcast. It means a great deal to me yeah thank you for having me it's been amazing thank you for joining us for this episode of offline you can find more episodes at offlinethepodcast.com or by subscribing wherever you like to listen original music by darren lake produced by Podpaste. one last thing if you know someone who would benefit from hearing these honest conversations please share offline with them 